You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This week, we have a past client that I worked with a couple of years ago, actually, and we reconnected recently. We have Jennifer with us, who is going to share her story with all of you on the show today. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, Brittany. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. And why don't we get started off with maybe you telling us a little bit more about you as a person and just who you are? That's a good question. <laughs> um So my name is Jennifer and I am a 42 year old mother of four. And so married four kids work full time, actually have a side gig. So I kind of work two jobs. I'm a data analyst and I do data visualization and I love it, but I'm a bit of an overachiever. So um, I'm sure that has played into my journey with food, that kind of perfectionism and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm um so my default is to always define myself by outside things like what I right. do, family, but like me, I'm just a person that really likes to read books and go for walks and kind of an introvert, but I love people. I'm mm-hmm. very very motivated by wanting to help others. I have a spiritual life that has been a huge part of my life, you know, since I was little. That has been a journey as well. It's kind of gone hand in hand with my food journey. And I also am a sober woman. I have been sober for seven years. So I think my sobriety journey has also played a part in my journey to food freedom. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I like that you went into, yeah, more of the things that you like to do as opposed to the outside things. It's it's easy to start off with that though, for sure, right? Of naming off, okay, yeah. husband and kids and here's where I live and all these different things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. So where would you say your issues with food and your body started? I think they started very young. I heard a lot of negative um, body image talk from my mother and I'm not trying to blame my mother. Like I know everybody wants to blame their mom, but I think that shaped me. Um, I also I was naturally a tall, thin girl growing up. Mm -hmm. My sister was not, my younger sister. And I heard the way that my mom talked to my sister about her body. So I heard the way my mom talked about herself, heard the way she talked about my sister, was always praised when I looked thin, you know, like, oh, you're looking really thin today or whatever. And then I was also a dancer. So I did ballet and modern dance my whole life up until my early twenties. So I think that dance culture also shaped a lot of my negative ideas about food and body image, mm-hmm. incorrect ideas about food and body image. Yeah. Lots of different factors at play kind of culminating together and creating what ended up being a big issue. Yes. But I didn't even see that it was a big issue until much later in life. Mm-hmm. So when did you start actually dieting? I started dieting in high school. I was around dancers. They were all, all my friends were dancers. And I always remember feeling bigger than, because mm-hmm. I was also tall, you know, I'm almost six feet tall and 5'11". So I was taller than a lot of them. 
and my body type wasn't the typical like tiny dancer type. Like I'm more muscular Mm -hmm. and I was always trying to fit what other bodies looked like, even though my body was never like, even at my most restrictive, my body wasn't looking the way that theirs did. So I felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I always felt like I needed to make myself smaller. So Mm -hmm. in high school, I started dieting. I would do things like I wouldn't eat breakfast. And then I would just take like baby carrots and a diet Coke to school. And I, that was all I would eat all day. So I didn't do like a particular diet, but I would just restrict. And then I'd have maybe a bagel before dance class. And then that was it. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I would get praised for the way my body looked. So I thought that was good. I was like, oh, I'm doing great. You know? <laughs> and especially somebody who is an overachiever, right? You get that praise and you latch onto it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember when people would send email forwards? Like you, you'd have like a email thing and it was like, answer all these questions about your friend and send it to five people. <laughs> so I do remember that actually. <laughs> I remember in high school, someone did one about me mm. and like, and it was like asking about their body size, big, small, or average. And she put average for me. And that just like killed me because mm. I had been working so hard to be thin right. and I was pissed that she didn't put skinny. <laughs> and I was like, what? I'm not average. No, I'm skinny. And that just fueled it even more. Just stuff like that would happen all the time. And I just, I always wanted to be smaller. What did you think being smaller would bring you? I thought that I would be a better dancer. I thought that I would get more praise. I thought that people, maybe I'd get a boyfriend. People would find me Mm -hmm. attractive. I feel like there were, there was a lot of chaos in my home also. um, So I feel Mm -hmm. like I was just looking for anyone to like, like me, you know? Yeah. So I felt like maybe I would be liked more if I was smaller. Mm Mm-hmm. Because everybody around me was constantly getting praised for, oh, you're looking, you're looking, you're actually really little, you know, under there (laughs) or things like Mm. that. And so I thought, oh, I just want more of that and more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get this attention that you didn't get otherwise. And so it Mm -hmm. feels like, okay, I need to keep doing what I'm doing and do it Mm -hmm. more hardcore so that I continue to get this praise. Mm -hmm. How did that evolve over time? The restricting as you got older? Well, I think it just changed. I would use different things. So I, I know when I was in high school and then in early college, that was before ephedra was banned. Mm. So I turned to diet pills um, yep. with ephedra in them. And I really, I liked the high that it gave me. So mm. I went from restricting to using diet pills and over-exercising because I felt really strong and powerful when I could go on the elliptical at full speed for an hour and a half. Right. Um, you know, my heart was racing, but I thought, Oh, it's, you know, this is great. <laughs> I didn't think I'm going to die because my heart's going to explode. Yeah. I thought, Oh, this is amazing. I can exercise like as hard as I want for X amount of time. So it kind of moved into over-exercising because I really like food. I actually really like cooking and baking and, you know, especially in my early twenties, I had a nice social life. So we would go out to eat or go to the pub for on Thursday night drinks or whatever. And that allowed me to eat, but also I would overexercise to compensate. Mm. Yeah. It's like exercise kind of became the tool so that you could live your life the Mm -hmm. way that you wanted. It did. 
Yeah. And I mean, that probably had an expiry date. Do you feel like you burned out from exercise at any point? I do. I think, I think what happened was I had my first child. So I was in college and early twenties and I got pregnant and I had to work. I was like, Oh crap, I need health insurance, you know? So I went to work full time. So more hours at the office, Mm -hmm. have a baby at home. Like I don't have three hours a day to hit the elliptical and the weights every day, you know? Yeah. I couldn't go to dance class anymore. It just didn't work with my schedule. So, you know, I would do workout videos at night or go to the Y, but I couldn't, I just didn't have the time or the energy once I had a baby. Yeah. Um, So it kind of forced me to change my, my mode of operating. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with that. That did not feel good. And I think that's when my drinking ramped up Mm. um, because I just didn't know how to cope. I didn't have that outlet anymore of exercise and everything had changed so fast. And I felt so out of control Mm -hmm. um, that I think that allowed me to kind of tune out all that noise. And so I just uh, didn't deal with it. Such massive life changes at such a young age, so many things shifting all at once. And I mean, for anybody that is so hard to deal with, no matter what age, but especially as a young person. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know what to do with this new body I had. And none of my friends had babies. (laughs) And all of my friends who were dancers, they didn't get it, you know, at all. So I just, I felt so judgmental of my body instead of appreciative of oh my gosh it like carried life and it did all these things all I could think about was getting back to the pre-baby size instead of accepting where I was at do you think part of it was getting back to just your pre-baby life and your body was almost like the vehicle that you were using to try to get there I think so absolutely that's something that I learned later talking with you, I had never thought of this, but looking back, I can see it that using my body as a scapegoat, it was very difficult. That was a very difficult time in my life. It was a lot of change. And that was the easiest thing to focus on. It was like the most familiar was Mm -hmm. like focusing on, I couldn't do anything about the fact that I had a totally different life, (laughs) Yeah, but I could control my body or I thought I could. So I tried and really didn't work. When did binging start? I think I've always been a binger. My mom was very restrictive with food. In mm-hmm. fact, funny story. Just a couple of years ago, we found out that she used to grate broccoli into our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to try oh and get us like gosh. greens. <laughs> Gross. No. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, I used to put like carrots and broccoli. I'm like, no wonder we hated lunch every day. <laughs> I feel like there's so many better ways to like quote-unquote hide vegetables than <laughs> in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich well and we ate like we ate healthy we ate stir fries and chicken and we didn't eat junk food so I'm like couldn't you just let it be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> <laughs> oh no I'm so, so sorry <laughs> it was so funny and also just like oh yeah I'm not surprised at all mm-hmm. so we didn't have like the only sugar we ever got was um Sometimes in our Easter basket, but not very much. We'd get like Easter candy and then we would get, occasionally she'd make like chocolate chip cookies, but we just, we didn't have like snack food or cookies in our house. And so I would hide in the pantry and I would eat sugar out of the container with a spoon Mm. 
or like sneak the lumps of brown sugar because that's the only like sweet thing we had in the house and I was soothing I was self-soothing and so later maybe early teens I would when she was out of the house or my dad was out of the house I would make like six pieces of cinnamon sugar toast and just eat them like I wasn't hungry I just wanted to soothe and so Mm -hmm. I think I started soothing self-soothing with food really early on and then um I think once I was out on my own, um, my sisters and I would joke about, oh, I had a bottle of wine and ate a whole bag of chocolate chips or, you know, something like that. So it, it was pretty much my whole life. I would do that. Yeah. Like, and it felt good to be like, so quote unquote good. And then have this big blowout where you're just like totally gross and ate whatever you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a relief mm-hmm. to not be holding it together. Yeah, just having those moments where you could kind of release some of the pressure and mm-hmm. know that you were just going to restart and it would be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost that secret eating that it sounds like. It sounds like you yeah. wouldn't do that around your parents ever. Like it was always when you were alone yep. on your own. Yeah, it was always secret eating. Yeah. Yeah. Did that continue with time even once you moved away from home? It did. In fact, I would do it when I lived with roommates before I had my daughter. I would hide a bottle of wine. I had like a whole package of cheese and crackers Mm -hmm. and cookies and I would go in my room and close the door and I would just sit in there and eat like I wouldn't eat out in the living room with everybody else. I would just be alone. And it was like my time. (laughs) I will listen to music and I will drink this and I will eat this. Yeah. And nobody is asking me for anything or bothering me. And I just Mm. and I, I did that even into adulthood, even you know, recently I would find myself like if I bought something, I would hide it from the kids so that I could have what I wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. That alone time where you didn't have to answer to anybody. You didn't have to be anybody. You didn't have to live up to any standard. You didn't have to answer to anyone else. You could just yep. let loose and do you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it started awesome. happening like late at night when the kids were asleep. And so I wouldn't sleep well because I would be eating nachos or a whole pizza or whatever. Yeah. It's one of those cycles that in some ways it feels good because you have something that you can actually really genuinely look forward to. Not that you weren't looking forward to other things in life, but it was just like these moments of, again, releasing that pressure, those moments Mm -hmm. of relief that if you had a hard day or whatever else, you knew that that was going to be there to kind of bring you back down at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would plan it. I would plan my um, drinking or eating binge and I would love it and it would get me through and get me through the day. Yeah. And so fast forward a bit. Do you remember how you felt when you reached out to me and why did you end up reaching out? I do. I remember feeling like I cannot go one more day feeling like this. I do not want to do this anymore. There has Mm -hmm. to be something better where I'm so sick of thinking about food, feeling guilty about food, hating my body. And I really related to the freedom word that in your food, food freedom life, I was like, oh my gosh, what would that look like if I wasn't constantly thinking about food and hating myself for everything I eat? And I just felt out of control and sad. I felt, I remember feeling really sad and just Mm -hmm. Like there has to be something better and there has to be a better way. And I also felt like I do not have one more diet in me. I cannot do one more diet. Like I'm so sick of this. 
because I really felt like I had tried everything. I yep. think the only thing I hadn't tried was keto because it sounded gross. Um, <laughs> or maybe it wasn't a thing, but at the time we were talking, but I'm just like, ew, meat and cheese all day. Gross. Like, <laughs> but I had tried, I remember I had tried whole 30 because mm-hmm. it's healthy quote unquote, but right. I was like, I can't give up yogurt. <laughs> there was only one thing where I was like, I can't give it up. And so I just felt like a failure because I couldn't even do whole 30 and not, you know, not eat yogurt. And I was just, I just felt like a mess and I felt like I can't diet one more day. I can't do it. So yeah, that feeling of, I just, you're at the end of your rope. Absolutely. You can't even imagine going back and doing it anymore. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's what I always say. The point, you know, you're really ready to take a step forward with this is when the fear of staying the same becomes greater than the fear of mm-hmm. moving forward into the unknown. That's a hundred percent true for me. Yes. And that also was how I felt at the end of my drinking. Mm. So I knew that feeling. I had that same yeah. feeling when I knew I was done drinking and I mm. walked into an A meeting, AA meeting, like I knew, and it was the same thing with this. Like I just, I knew the pain of doing it the way I had been doing it was too much. And so I was ready to do, I was really willing to do like whatever was suggested. Yeah. And that makes you, it made me, and I think it makes people in general, when they get to that point, just really open and honest Mm. and willing to do whatever it takes um, and to take suggestions that maybe they weren't willing to take before um, and to hear things maybe they weren't willing to hear before. That's how it was for me anyway. Do you feel like your sobriety journey helped you in this journey with food? I do. I feel like it helped me in the sense that I knew what hitting a bottom felt like and I knew that there was hope. And I also knew how to ask for help. Yeah. So it helped. I do think that there were a couple of things that maybe weren't as helpful. And that was the concept of addiction. Um, Oftentimes we'll hear it in other sobriety circles. Like I'm addicted to food. Yeah. And overeaters anonymous. Right. So I did try overeaters anonymous and I'm not saying that people who do that don't need it. But for Mm. me, there was always this, this we're committed to working towards a healthy weight right? So there's this expectation that you're going to get free of your food addiction and lose weight. So I did it, but I wasn't losing any weight. Mm. And I felt like I was experiencing some of the, like I was doing the work that I was supposed to be doing, quote unquote, but I wasn't losing weight. So I wasn't successful. There must've been something I was doing wrong. And so I kind of, um, that ended up not being a very helpful place for me personally, It wasn't helpful for me to think of food as an addiction because I just couldn't apply the same rules to it that I had in AA. Some of them worked, but not all of them. AA is total abstinence, but food, I have to, I have to eat to live. And so I wanted freedom from, I didn't even know what I wanted freedom from, but that's what I wanted. And I didn't feel it in OA, but I got it from working this program with you. Mm. So how did you come to the conclusion that I'm not addicted to food? Well, it was, it was working with you and kind of really working through what was really going on. It really had nothing to do with a medical like compulsion. Like it, it was more of the underlying beliefs and rules and patterns that I had developed from a really young age and just how deeply entrenched those were and how much I had internalized them. And I had to work through all of that. 
that was all the food rules, all the things that I interpreted from society and from my mother and from the women I had always been around. And I had to unpack all of that. And, and that was what was causing the distress. It wasn't so much a chemical, um, which I think is a component of true addiction to substances. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily that. It, and I did use food compulsively to soothe, but I had to kind of work on what am I trying to soothe? <laughs> what am I using this food for? And once mm-hmm. I did that, I, the problem went away. So I haven't binged in a really long time. I don't even remember the last binge. Mm-hmm. So I think that speaks to the success of the work that we did. Yeah. And, and looking at your relationship with food through a different lens other than addiction. Yeah. Some of the tools of the sobriety program helped me in my food journey, but it wasn't, I had to look at it differently. Yeah. Because I think looking at food as an addiction, it really, it does put you into a box that isn't always the most helpful in this specific space with other spaces with, with drugs, with alcohol, it is very helpful, but with food, I mean, you need food to live. We can't Mm -hmm. escape it. We need it every single day, multiple times a day. And so if you're living with this concept of I'm addicted to it, you're trapped. Yeah. And the measure of your success in getting out of your addiction with food is weight loss. And I also knew that I couldn't pursue weight loss anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a change the measures of success. Mm -hmm. What were the biggest pieces for you that helped you heal? Anything that you remember? I do. I remember several things. (laughs) Um, One, I think the most early, early on, one of the most important things that we did was the social media diet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not diet, but you know what I mean? The cleanse. So going through your social media and looking any, anything, even if it was a good thing that you, that I followed. And now the only social media I was on was Instagram and Snapchat, which was my daughter, but Mm -hmm. um, any Instagram accounts that I followed that made me feel bad about myself, even if it wasn't their fault, you know, just anything where I looked at and it made me judge myself or make some sort of rule about what I should be doing or what I should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up getting off Instagram altogether, but that was one of the first things I did. I have friends that posted all the time about their weight loss and their diets and what they were doing to be healthy or whatever. I couldn't look at any of that during my food journey. Yeah. food freedom journey, because it just, I didn't want any more outside input. I wanted it just to be you and me <laughs> Yeah, talking about my journey. And I, I was so tired of all the outside input. So I also stopped reading articles and the news about health and wellness. And cause I really wanted to work on what does it look like for me? What mm. does it mean for me? And I couldn't even read articles about it at the time. And I couldn't look at comments about because of course in the comments, people are always like weird about health and diet exercise articles. So Mm -hmm. I did all of that. I did the social media cleanse and that really helped me focus. So that was one. Another one was looking at the idea of rules, like food rules. What food rules did I have? Mm -hmm. Rules rules around food or eating. Um, Because it never occurred to me that I had rules. Right. I thought I was just like, free floating all over the place. Like some, like, I don't know what's going on, but I really did have rules. So that was interesting was kind of looking at that. 
How is that helping or not helping? (laughs) Totally. And I get where you're coming from and you felt like you didn't have any rules because it was just kind of chaos all the time. And it was Mm -hmm. like impulsive and all these things that didn't feel good. So it feels like, well, yeah, I, I must not have any rules because here I am so dysregulated, but Mm-hmm. I love that you were able to notice when we actually looked into it more. Oh, wow. I actually do have so many rules and that's what's causing all of this. Yeah. That was super helpful. Yeah. I would say another thing was something that we already touched on was the idea of using my body as a scapegoat. Mm. That never occurred to me that what was really going on had nothing to do with my body or food. How did you start to look at your body throughout this process? Well, I think that that part helped looking at when I'm thinking negatively about my body, digging into what what else might be going on in my life that is causing me to focus, hyper-focus on my body. Mm. That helped because I, it turns out I had a lot going on, you know, just life is hard and messy. And um, if you don't have all the coping skills developed, it's easy to make your body a scapegoat, mm-hmm. especially if it's familiar. So I think learning to identify what's really going on, what am I really uncomfortable with? So I remember one time I was feeling really anxious about, I don't remember what it was, but it was a social event around other women. Mm -hmm. And I knew I, all I could think about was how like, oh, I'm so ugly. I'm so big. And all these ladies are small and beautiful. And I'm so like, I'm going to look weird in my clothes. And I was obsessing about what I was going to wear. And the truth is what I was really anxious about was, I don't know that I fit in with these people. Like, I don't really have anything in common with them. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to feel apart from. Yeah. They're going to think I'm weird. (laughs) They're going to judge me. They're going to. So I was more worried about that, about not fitting in. And I just made it about my body not fitting in and not about like me as a person. And then we had to also talk about like, well, do you have people in your life that you fit in with? And I was like, okay, yeah, I do. I have people on my bench. I have people that are my people. So Mm -hmm. it's okay that I go be around these ladies who maybe aren't my people. Maybe Mm -hmm. I don't fit in, but it's fine. You know, but I had to work through all of that. I remember that conversation. Yeah. I remember talking about that and just that light bulb moment that went off that you were like, I don't even like them very much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. You were like, do you want to be part of their circle? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So why am I all spun up about this? (laughs) Yeah. Why am I trying to make this about my body when in reality, these women, they're just, they're not for me and they're going to be in my life, but they're not who I really want to go out of my way to spend my time with all the time. Right. And just that knowing that, hey, I do have people who love me as I am and who I don't feel super self-conscious around and who I am able to just be myself and show up unapologetically. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Huge difference. What about the idea of permission? How did that play a role in your recovery? Oh my gosh, that was huge. Um, I still remember the first exercise you had me do around permission because the first Mm -hmm. thing we did was throw out all the rules, the food Mm -hmm. rules after we identified them, like, okay, we're not going to follow these rules anymore. Mm -hmm. And the first exercise we did was um, I had permission to make something that I really wanted to eat that I really enjoyed. And I had permission to eat as much as I wanted. And I was like, really? So I made brownies 
and I had permission to eat as many brownies as I wanted. And I was like, okay. So I ended up eating four brownies and I was like, damn, I didn't eat the whole thing of brownies. I didn't even want the whole thing of brownies. I ate four. It was cool. I actually didn't eat any more. I don't think, or maybe I had one the next day, but that was it. Mm -hmm. And that was huge. It was very enlightening to kind of go, if I have permission to eat whatever I want, I'm not going to eat all of them, the, all of the things. <laughs> yeah. I can listen to my body and decide what I really want. And mm -hmm. wow. Okay. It was very enlightening. Yeah. Looking at it through that lens of they're not going anywhere, right? If mm -hmm. I finish this tray of brownies, I can make another tray of brownies mm -hmm. and another and another, and they're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Helps to take away some of that urgency to finish them all and you know get rid of it and get it out of the house and yep I, I remember um and I still think about this I still think about this whenever I make cookies I used to want to like race my kids to make sure that I I had as many cookies as I wanted before they got to them and ate all of them right and so I would end up overeating them or like hiding them or whatever because I wanted to make sure I had enough and now I can look at it and I can go, I can make a whole other batch of cookies if they eat all the cookies. That's totally fine. And yep. I can always buy more cookies. Mm -hmm. I'm like, There's always more available if I want it. And then I can ask myself the question, do I want it? And usually I don't want all of them. <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. When there's that scarcity mentality around the food, when there's, you know, there's not enough and it's only here for a short period of time, it doesn't even really matter if you want it or not like wanting it needing it becomes the default there's mm -hmm. no room for that question of do I want it or not that's mm -hmm. that's a non-question at all like you do yeah. want it absolutely of course I want it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I want all of it yeah yeah mm -hmm. but when you bring in that idea of abundance and permission and it's not going anywhere and I'm allowed to have it mm -hmm. now it makes room for that question of do I actually want it or not and if I do yeah how much and let's sit down and let's actually enjoy it versus just, you know, walking by and grabbing it and not even thinking about it. And next thing I know, I've eaten five cookies and I don't even remember. Yeah, completely. And permission in other areas too. Like sometimes when I was trying to be quote unquote good, because I had rules about what good looked like, yeah, I would not order a milkshake or not order the fries, right? even though I really wanted it. So I remember you were like, you, you can have a milkshake if you want a milkshake and ice cream. I remember when I came, when I first started working with you, ice cream was a thing for me and I would eat like two pints and then feel horrible. Mm -hmm. And, um, you were like, if you want ice cream, you can eat ice cream. It's okay. And if you want to go to Chick-fil-A and get a milkshake, you don't have to get the fries and the sandwich in order to get a milkshake. Cause I had a rule about that too. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if I'm going to get a milkshake, I have to at least eat a chicken sandwich because it's got to be a meal. And right. But no, you can, or you can just get the fries if that's what you want. So I had permission to eat whatever I wanted and think about what I actually wanted. Mm -hmm. And I swear, I don't even, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I can't remember the last time I ate a whole pint of ice cream just because it actually hurts my teeth and kind of hurts my stomach because it's a lot of dairy. Same with the milkshakes. Like I realized that they actually kind of hurt my tummy. So <laughs> tummy, I'm a mom. I'm a mom <laughs> no, it's a tummy for sure. Don't worry. <laughs> That's the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I was like so obsessed over like getting like if I wanted something like and I also I had permission to drink two sips of it I didn't have to drink the whole milkshake and finish it if I didn't want to Mm. maybe I just wanted half a milkshake that's okay like I had rules about not wasting the milkshake so that kind of thing of like you you have permission to stop if you're full you have permission to order just the fries if you don't feel like eating a full meal at Chick-fil-A or order just the sandwich or order whatever you want because you can order something else tomorrow. <laughs> it, it was just amazing to me how much that helped me. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it turns down the volume on all the noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? All of that chatter that's like, oh, you should do this. You shouldn't do this. You're good for this. You're bad for this. It mm-hmm. It just turns it all down and helps you say what what do I actually want? What do I actually need? What would serve mm-hmm. me in this moment? Yep. And sometimes that's a salad. Like I go through these really intense cravings for like spicy tuna roll sushi and seaweed salad or beautiful salad with a green goddess dressing or something. Mm-hmm. And then other times I'm like, God, I would kill somebody for some salty Chick-fil-A fries. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you, there's more of that flow and that ease there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did self-forgiveness play a role in your dieting recovery? Mm, that is such a big question. I think that was a huge part of it yeah. because I believed that something was wrong with me and it was my fault. Those are two right. things I believed. So I had to first understand that nothing was wrong with me. And then I had to understand that it wasn't my fault. So I had to unpack all of that. Like, of course I had a crazy body image when I looked at all of the stuff that I grew up with and the circles I ran in with all these unhealthy ideas. I didn't even talk about my dad and his stuff with his, my dad's an ultra marathoner and he has crazy food rules where he's like, and I thought he was super healthy when I talk, (laughs) you know, like, oh, he's the healthiest person I know. And now I'm like, oh my God, he's he's obsessive. So I had that, you know, this ultra marathoner guy who just looked like he could eat whatever he wanted and, or not eat whatever he wanted. Like it was no big deal. Right. Um, so when I, when I learned that a a lot of where I got my food rules was from growing up with people with unhealthy food rules, growing up in circles, hearing all this stuff that was not healthy. I mean, of, of course I internalized that. Of course I developed unhealthy coping mechanisms with food and ideas around food. So I could start to kind of realize that I didn't have as much, I don't have as much control over my body as I thought I did in terms of my, it's just my, like my genetics, my, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Like I grew up believing that you could control the way you look by dieting and exercising. And that the way to look was thin. And right. so I had to let go of those ideas that the way to look is thin and that you can control it. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is I have a lot less power over that than I thought. Yeah. And I also don't need to control it because my body knows what it needs. So I don't have to work so hard. And I had to forgive myself for that and kind of go, oh my gosh, I was so mean to myself. I thought I could punish myself into thinness. Yeah. If you could just somehow figure out and hack how you could be that disciplined mm-hmm. person, that would be the key to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And learning that it really has nothing to do with willpower or discipline or goodness or badness. Like it's just, 
biochemistry and like the way your body is and that actually it's harmful to do the extreme dieting thing that I did. It's, it's harmful to your body. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of apologize to my body for that. Yeah. So Forgive yourself and forgive your body and mm -hmm. have your body forgive you too. Mm -hmm. And food freedom. I mean, it's a, it's a continual process that you always kind of have to yeah. revisit. It's not just a destination. And so how do you keep your mind on this work rather than going back to diets now that you've kind of been through the like bulk of the healing? Yeah. Well, um, the lessons I've learned are very, they come up for me every day. So I, there are things that I remember every day that mm -hmm. I took away from it, but life changes, right. And your body changes again. In my case, I had another baby and then had a hysterectomy, um, and some pelvic or organ prolapse repairs. So my body has changed a lot. So mm -hmm. I kind of have to revisit things as it applies to my life now. And I know life changes. I'm sure life is going to change again when I get older and go through menopause. And so one thing that helped is continuing the relationship with you. Like we just did a check-in recently, just kind of a little one-on-one, -on -one, like revisiting some of the stuff in, in the context of where my body is now. Yeah. And that helped, but I've, I've really deeply... I took to heart the lessons that I learned in our time working together. And I, I keep those food freedom kind of concepts in the forefront of my mind, because I can kind of tell when I go back to a more painful place and I remember, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm making my body a scapegoat. I'm being hard on my body. I'm thinking I can control my body. I'm focusing on food rules again. Yeah. Um, do you want to know something super interesting? I don't know if this applies, but. I just went in for an annual physical for the first time in a while. And my labs were perfect. My body is healthy. It is amazing. The only metric that looks quote unquote bad is I'm heavier. And we looked at the track of my weight over time. I have years and years of weight history in there. Every time I have a baby, my body resets to the weight that I was when I was pregnant. It mm -hmm. loves to be that weight. I don't know what it is about my body that it just likes that weight mm -hmm. and it kind of resets. And by, and I can see my body going up, my weight going up and down and up and down and up and down in between babies <laughs> mm -hmm. where I was trying to control it. And then I just let it be. And I try and control it. And then maybe I'd swing way the other way. And, but I happened to be the weight that I was when I was pregnant with my fourth baby. And I'm like, okay, like, I just have to accept that about my body. Look at the true metrics. I feel good. I look good. My body's, you know, all the measures are good. Mm -hmm. uh, why am I being mean to myself? <laughs> yeah. So super interesting. And my doctor, thank God I have an amazing doctor. She was just like, yeah, your, your body has reset, you know, whatever the set point is, that's where it wants to be, you know? Totally. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's, that is something that's really interesting. I think is really helpful for people to hear because, you know, there's this fear that like, oh, well, if, if I'm, you know, larger, I'm inherently going to be unhealthy. And that's, that's not inherently true, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's something that we need to really work on, on learning for ourselves and coming to a place of acceptance that like, Hey, I can, exist in a body that's maybe not society standards and 
I can be a healthy individual. Yeah. Yeah. And it is really helpful for body image. It doesn't necessarily solve anything, but I think it removes that piece of, well, I'm just not doing good enough because all data points to the fact that you are. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's things that I want to do better, but I'm focusing on them from a more, I guess, a totally different standpoint. Like I want to be able to go back to New York city and walk around the city more. I'd love to go walk around central park. So I'm walking more, not Mm -hmm. because I want to lose weight, but because I want to be stronger. Like it has nothing to do with losing weight. In fact, I went to New York city with my daughter, which was one of the fears that I had on my list. When I started working with you, Mm -hmm. it was, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to travel. I'm not going to be able to do the things I want to do. I did it in a body that's bigger than it was when I worked with you two years ago (laughs) and it was fine and it was super fun and I was fine. And we walked nine miles in one day and I did it, you know? So amazing. So proud of you. Oh, thank you. So what's maybe one piece of advice you would give to somebody who's struggling with body image or their relationship with food right now? I would say that the social media cleanse helps a lot and it is really, really almost impossible to unpack all this by yourself because there's just, there's stuff there that I couldn't see until somebody else pointed it out for me. And I almost like, if I had given myself permission to eat those brownies, it would have felt bad. But because you gave me permission to eat those brownies, it felt like I can do this. So I would suggest working with someone because it helps you just, you, you learn things that you can't see on your own when you're in it um, and you need some support on your journey. But I would say that there is hope that I don't, I'm not saying I love my body every day, but I'm mostly neutral or positive about it. Pretty positive about it most of the time, honestly. Love that. Yeah, there's lots of hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to sometimes imagine what food freedom is like really in it. Like you kind of said earlier, you didn't know what freedom really was, but you knew that you needed it. Mm-hmm. I did. And you know, what's funny is now I have a low tolerance for stuff that, you know, people talking bad about bodies or even talking good about bodies. I'm like, don't talk about my body. And I've learned to not do that with my daughter. Like, I know I don't say things like, Oh, you're looking whatever. I have a friend that every time I see her, almost every time I see her, she'll say something like you look skinny. And I'm like, there is no metric on earth that would tell me I look skinny. Right. (laughs) I do not look skinny, but she is meaning it as a compliment to say I look good. So I don't say that to people anymore. And I don't even want to think about that. So I have a low tolerance for, for that kind of stuff now. And I, I don't say that to people. I say, you know, if they have a cute outfit on, oh, I really like your outfit or your hair mm-hmm. is beautiful, you know, really cute haircut or, but I don't talk about their bodies. Yeah. I don't know because it's like, no, like we're more than our bodies. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everything. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, you are amazing. And I'm really grateful that I could come on here and talk with you and just hopefully help somebody else. (laughs) You definitely will. I know that everybody listening right now is happy that you shared your story and is feeling a bit of hope for themselves if they're in the same place that you were when we started working together. So thank you so much for just being brave and sharing your story and yeah. hopefully it felt empowering for you too and helps give you a little bit of boost in what you're continuing Absolutely. to work on as well. Totally. <laughs> yeah. 
Amazing. Well, everybody listening, thank you so much for being here and we will see you next week.